the old woman who farms in the Alps, the welder in South Chicago, and the mythical cook from ancient China all have this in common. Their work is hard and unglamorous, and most people would find it boring, repetitive, and meaningless. Yet these individuals transformed the jobs they had to do into complex activities. They did this by recognizing opportunities for action where others did not, by developing skills, by focusing on the activity at hand and allowing themselves to be lost in the interaction so their selves could emerge stronger afterward. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi Welcome to the Lost Travelers Club. I'm your ever-loving host, Henry Allen. And I am here with a new friend, Sarah Gregg, who I met through a mutual friend of ours in England. Um, and Sarah, currently you're in Taiwan, yes? Yeah, currently in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. But you don't really have a home base where you call home you're like a, a snail with your home on your back yeah you and your I'm home. very much yeah like a almost 40 year old snail just <laughs> traveling around the world well in the limited capacity that we can right now um yeah, yeah exploring life and it's strange not having a physical base I almost feel more at home and I never really know how to describe that to people I think there are some people who feel that sense of belonging you know when they are physically in the community that they're surrounded with and I certainly enjoy going home but it's a strange feeling I feel more of myself and a greater sense of belonging whenever I'm traveling and have the freedom to be a bit of a nomad that's beautiful that's and it's amazing that with the the timing of human events and we'll get into your your backstory a little bit mm -hmm. um you were you were born in ireland yeah yes i'm originally from belfast in, from belfast. in northern ireland mm -hmm. beautiful and then you're you're um you and your husband were were in england after yeah so he he's from belfast as well so we met at university almost kind of i think 16 years ago now and we both had a real passion for travel, even at that stage. So we completed our degrees, did our um, master's, then went into the real world, for want of a better term. That only lasted for a year. And then we thought, oh, we should really get this travel and bug out of our system. And so we quit our jobs at that stage and uh, went traveling for 18 months and then we moved to the UK we did seven years then and then we just repeated the cycle again and went yeah it's this doesn't really feel for us what is it <laughs> about seven again. year cycles I know you, it's the weirdest thing it's but a strange it is. pattern that goes back mm -hmm. I mean it's been written about throughout history right these seven year cycles it's fascinating. Now, your 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 master's and your degree uh, is in psychology or psychologist, yeah? Yeah. So my degree is in psychology. My master's is actually in careers guidance of all things. So I'm a oh. member of the British. Yeah, I'm a member of the British Psychological Society and um, qualified coach. So my 
my whole background has been in various forms, um, working with people, whether it's individuals or businesses to really help them realize their, their full potential. And that's something that I've always been fascinated with. You know, how do we live life fully, but most importantly, how do we live life fully as our full selves? Yeah, yeah, on your terms, on your own terms. Yeah, that means on for your you. own terms. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, with the way that the world, I guess, People are, are talking a lot about the, the state of the world now and the chaos and, and the fear and um, just sort of the, the, well, the whole, the name of my podcast, The Lost Traveler. We all feel a bit lost now. Um, and I was, I was thinking the other day of, of you know, I, I study history and, and I'm a folklorist and um, I, I have a great interest in the, the development of the human being from early humans to now. And I'm not seeing a great difference from period to period. I'm not seeing great uh, evolution um, to where, from where we've been to where we are, either physiologically, psychologically, or mm -hmm. uh, in any other way. I think we're still struggling with the same things that human beings are struggling. I wanna get deeply, deeply into that with you because you, this is your passion as well. This is something that you, you have studied. This is something you continue to study. And now that you are, as you say, nomadic or, or traveling professionally and, and, and with your livelihood, that this is your, um, uh, this is your, your way. Um, you, don't have a, a, you don't have that root in the earth. And so you're able yeah. to see across cultures um, mm -hmm. where where those threads connect throughout humanity. I I had that in my foundation, right? Yeah. And my father was a diplomat, and I I lived all over the world. But and then now that I'm back in Europe for three years, I'm seeing those threads where they connect again. And some of the mm -hmm. connections are a little frayed and a little fragile, but they're there. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna break. Um, talk a little bit about that. Where, where, do, where did you first, where did you get from point A to point B? What brought you into the world of psychology and yeah. trying to understand the human being and the human condition? I think chaos brought me into psychology. <laughs> mm -hmm. Because I grew up, I mean, not to go into too much detail, but, you know, I grew up in quite a chaotic household yeah. and psychology really offered a way to navigate and bring a form of control, I think, and to understand the human mind and how it worked. And I'd never studied psychology, but yet I somehow knew it was exactly what I went, uh, what I was meant to do. I remember when I was 17 and um, I was doing like what it's kind of like your, your qualifications before university and they offered sociology. And I remember sitting in the sociology class and the, the teacher at the time saying, okay, who knows what they want to do at university? And I just knew it was psychology. Like I had always known it was psychology. I was just this human being who had always been fascinated with how humans worked. I was quite a serious child. Like I found, I found notebooks in my memory box 
and when we were clearing out all our stuff and I was like 10 years old and I would write things like I want to live my life fully and I want to see the world and and I it was some of the lines in it are so deep for a for a child to write so I think it's always been part of me and it's been a way to help me understand and navigate the world and it helps me make sense of it and what I like about it is it's a representation of what the collective experience you know there are different strands even within psychology you know we've got the humanistic thread we've got positive psychology and it's not necessarily preachy all it is is just a scientific awareness of these are the common threads, like you said, these are the common threads in our humanity. These are the things that we face time and time again. And when we bring awareness to those and when we study them, we can get a greater understanding of what each other feels and senses and also drive tools as to how to best navigate it. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. Well, and that's what I'm hoping this this series um, of, of podcasts is going to be, is something for the toolkit, because there are experts out there, like yourself and like many others, who can speak clearly and plainly for a broad audience, we have right now about 1200 listeners in 25 countries. And that's a manifestation of something that that Mm -hmm. common thread that we're talking about that that fabric that weaves us together as human beings, I think, like you're saying, we need to, to start talking about that and recognizing the commonality because there is such great division there always has been amongst human beings amongst nations, amongst governments and parties within governments. And, you know, we see it and and within families, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I can totally relate to what you're talking about in terms of trying to navigate your way through a chaotic home as a sensitive and intelligent youth. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot of young listeners uh, with The Lost Traveler and uh, I'm really grateful for that because I I know how tough it was in in my generation to grow up uh, in in that world of chaos, the Vietnam War, and yeah. uh, you know all of that struggle of trying to find yourself and watch your parents for how to be in the world, and yet they were struggling too. In hindsight, you yeah. never quite are aware as a child of how your parents are struggling. But, uh, but it, it did give me, um, like you, that I turned to psychology. Mm. And that formed a foundation for theater for me. Yeah. That was really why I got into theater. It was a creative means of exploring psychology. So exploring psychologically, the way that 
human beings not only deal with with things themselves around them and situations and with themselves but how people treat one another what are the mm -hmm. motivations and what happened in their biography that might be i don't know reflected in the people around them yeah that triggers something in them it's yeah. like we're, we're all mirrors to one another aren't we we really are and that's the uncomfortable bit sometimes it's really uncomfortable to confront yourself i think we have this innate desire to become who we are and shed who we should be but in that process it does mean confronting parts of you that you may not like yourself and often they're reflected in the people around you or indeed in the patterns that you continually repeat because like you said when we are motivated by an unmet need we tend to validate or meet that need through through the experiences that we select so for example i would say on a personal level like speaking for myself you know worthiness or that feeling of am i good enough and not understanding the metric of that is very much one of the needs that i need to meet within myself and that really that unmet need shaped most of my experiences you know it's what caused me to volunteer for all the extra project at work even though i was overwhelmed and burned out because that need had that yearning to be met so i continually sought out the same experiences it's what caused me to say yes and people please and perform and perfect whenever i didn't have the energy or capacity to do that or when when that wasn't in alignment with myself and that's really because the unmet need that motivation to be loved to be worthy of belonging will seek itself out in the experiences that you desire to meet that need but as a result you repeat patterns that creates resistance in your life because you're not really in alignment with yourself that's that's really powerful i i you know, I, I try to um, try to find tools for for people, not only for themselves who are struggling with what you're talking about, but also people who either are teachers or especially parents with children. Mm -hmm. The whole reason for starting a life skills podcast is that I feel that I look around me globally and I see a, a uh, deficiency, great deficiency in those essential life skills that every one of us, 7.8 billion on the planet, we all learn them. We all learn these life skills. It's not a question of whether we learn them or not. It's how well do we learn them and from whom? Yeah. And this is very often generational. And I think that many parents with all the best intentions just aren't equipped to help guide their children or help elevate or bring proficiency in in a broader sense to to their their life skills development we're certainly not getting it in schools around the world some do better than others um but what do you think parents can do in in this time to help their children navigate first of all be aware that their children are going through these things because structurally I mean, if you look at, at a report card in school, 
just the mm -hmm. fact that there are, are evaluations, one of them being F, meaning you're a failure, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then if you apply for a job and you don't get it or, or whatever, structurally in society, there are, there are places that can continue that message that you're not good enough that, or you don't deserve to have whatever it is that you deem good, even love. Um, yeah. How does a parent help nav help their child navigate that world today? Mm, that's a really great question. I think it's true for the parent and it's also true for those of us who are almost going through the process of reparenting ourselves, you know, giving ourselves what our parents weren't necessarily in a position to give. And that's really making it feel safe to be ourselves and safe to hold the emotions that we feel. And it's an instinctive reaction of a parent or of any human being to want to solve or want to remove any discomfort. We struggle to sit in our own discomfort, but equally we struggle to sit in other people's discomfort. So when, for example, the child gets the F, there can be the reaction maybe to blame it on the teacher. Oh, that teacher's rubbish and they don't really teach properly and hold some form of anger and aggression. Or equally to direct that at the child, you didn't work hard enough, you weren't listening in class. Or to overly please the child, it's fine, it doesn't matter, it's not a representation of the F, you know, you can do whatever you want and we say positive things to the child rather than just holding the discomfort and having that uncomfortable conversation with the child about what caused the F? Like, what do you think's going right in this class? Like, let me hear your opinion. How do you feel about that F? How does that make you feel? Maybe that F is the best and that child is actually really proud of that F, you know, right. because the child turned up to the test or, you know, there's some other issue going on. So I think with everything, there is a curiosity about what's behind it, what's behind the feeling, what's behind the reaction, what's driving it, what's the motivation. And when you make that part of yourself feel safe and feel okay, and when human beings feel heard and understood and listened to, then the self feels safe. It doesn't need to fragment or um, warp itself into different parts. It doesn't develop as many you know, defenses to safeguard the soul. It's able to arise naturally and it feels secure and of course that doesn't mean that we are protected in any way from the suffering of life or from the harm of failure or from the rejections of the job that you go to or the you know the exam that you fail but what it enables us to do is to really take responsibility and see life objectively rather than seeing it through the filters of the, the needs that we're deficient in. The biggest breakthrough in wellness in the past 50 years. Vox Life's wearable technology has no batteries, no wires, and no metals. When neuroreceptors on your feet or arms come into contact with the Vox HPT pattern, a neuroresponse is triggered, sending information to your central nervous system, helping regulate pain, maintain motor control, and balance. The effect is immediate, so you focus less on weathering through physical pain and discomfort and more on living a happier, healthier life. 
As a special promotion, our sponsor is donating 25% of your purchases through the following link to benefit the Lost Travelers Club and our new Brain Candy Project wing. Simply visit https colon double slash lost travelers club hyphen brain candy project dot voxlife.com. That's V O double X life.com. It's a win win. Oh, brilliant. And I just had an epiphany as you were talking that and reflecting back on my childhood because I had such a, 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 a traumatic experience around school and home and where they met. Mm. Um, mm. If I got low grades, I was severely punished and love was withheld yeah. and sleep was deprived until you did every lesson in the book and got it right. I mean, these kinds of things. And I don't fault my parents for that because mm -hmm. they're dealing with the tools that they have and that, you know, they, they remember hopefully being a child and what they struggled with and hard work and dedication, repetition, all that stuff without thinking, uh, I was very self-aware as I'm sure you were. Mm -hmm. And I knew that grades didn't matter to me. I knew that I was intelligent. I knew that I was curious. I knew that I was capable. And I knew that I was different and I was creative. I knew a lot, I was different. And I did take personal pride in being a bit of an oddball, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, it's interesting now reconnecting with a lot of my friends from growing up in the international or American schools around the world, um, mm -hmm. that we all have a very similar shared experience in that sense. And I don't know if, if experiencing different cultures or, or even just being in school surrounded by other kids from every culture, every religion, every background, um, somehow gave us with all those different facets of humanity around us, all those different disco ball mirrored reflections of, of, of humanity. But the conflict that arose in me that I struggled with for a very long time until I was well out of school mm. was the feeling inside that the F didn't bother me, the D didn't bother me. I knew I was a different kind of learner I knew that I did not test well, that testing was not a reflection of my intelligence or my ability or my, or my, I knew that I wasn't lazy, even though that was constantly a word used. Yes. Um, and so I'm being fed all of these messages in my right ear, whilst in my left ear is my own voice saying, you are good enough you are okay, you are lovable, you are worthy, right? Mm -hmm. And you're not a failure. And so I think once we hear, when we hear things over and over and over and over and over again, we tend to start to believe those things. Yeah. And whose voice is louder? Is it the inner voice? right? What maybe for us now as adults, we call our inner child, I think, and this is the big epiphany, I think that as children, we have an inner parent. Yeah. That's feeding us those nurturing, self-nurturing, self-aware 
self-knowledge mm -hmm. messages. We know who we are. And yet our parents that are separate from us are feeding us different information based on their own deficiencies or proficiencies as the case may be. Yes, exactly. What do you exactly think about that? that? Yeah, I think exactly that. And I think you made a really interesting point, you know, about when love is withheld, you know, that's a basic human need. So it's very difficult then for a child not to bend or twist or contort themselves in order to reach that need. And that's really when um, we start to almost morph into who we think we should be. You know, we take those labels off, I'm lazy, um, I'm maybe not good, I'm not very good at exams, and we internalize them, when actually they're often not any reflection on, on the self or the person, and that inner voice that you're deeply connected with of, I'm creative and I don't pass well, and that's just not what I do, you know, that's the real self coming forward. And we can, you know, often we can struggle or people struggle um, at the outset of this journey to understand which one's talking you know is it the fragmented part is it the part of me that is deficient in the need that's being motivated forward or is it the real me and I think you can tell the difference in terms of when you're motivated from a place of pain when you're motivated from a place of distrust it feels different you know in those moments when you chastise yourself or you criticize yourself or you flex your boundaries maybe a little bit more and you have that little tug almost in your stomach that goes oh you shouldn't do this mm -mm -mm. but you override it and you say no 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 it's fine I'm a good person and I'm going to show up to do that or no yeah and you know I am bad and I am lazy and I need to work harder that's all coming from a place of pain versus from a place of trust and that trust that you so beautifully express you know I don't test well I'm creative I'm a bit of an oddball but I'm comfortable with that you know I'm cool with that yeah. and I guess it's often our parents desires for us to fit in for us to conform maybe what isn't realized is that that protection of the heart in the short term ultimately results in a longer term heart because you disconnect from that part of yourself because you're told it's not good enough and it's not what you should be. And it can take longer, longer to recover that part and longer to trust that part of you. Yeah. The, what you were just saying about um, conformity, mm. I think is a really important thing to talk about. Um, we are still in a generation of parents, and we're all, anyone who is of an age uh, where they can physically have children are of the parenting generation and, and above, right? So um, all eyes are on us and for how to be and who to trust and what are the messages that I resonate with, what, what frequency feels right. Mm -hmm. And um and I think that we still, we are currently still uh, people who are now parents of your age, my age, and grandparents now, okay. some great grandparents, come from a world where conformity was, uh, was sort of an expectation. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it had to do with our religious upbringing. A lot of yeah. it had to do with the structure of education. 
mm-hmm. um, measuring your worth against others. Yes. Uh, this was all an expectation. I, from high school age, I wanted to have a t-shirt. I might still do this. Um, that says too big for the box. <laughs> In fact, that's my Skype name. If anybody wants to Skype me, it's number two, B-I-G, number four, D, box. Yeah. Yeah. Too big for the box. And I think we are too mm. big for the box. Um, mm. Every single one of us. And so let's talk a little bit about the state of the world right now is people are, and I guess, again, I look, I'm thinking now, okay, have, has there ever been a time in history where people are breaking those boundaries? Yes, of course. Every generation, all the way back to the first humans, we have had people breaking out of those boxes. That mm-hmm. inner impulse that we all have mm-hmm. to break through conformity and be an individual is so important. I'm still struggling with that. Oh yeah. You know, and all of these these institutions, they really are institutions, whether it's religion, education, or government, or employment, Mm -hmm. are telling you the box that you must fit into and contort Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah. You're with a capital S self to Mm -hmm. fit into this prefabricated little box that you are just too big for. Um, do you think there's any hope that, that that will disappear given the state right now of people, even when it comes down to gender identity are breaking all of these boxes apart and saying it was not built for me. It was never yeah. built for me. And everyone needs to know that. Yeah, it's such a big question and with a big complex answer in a lot of ways because we are all individuals and it's really hard, you know, to take that one size fits all approach. And there are some people who are meant to be too big for the box and who break the molds and who trailblaze the way through life. But there are also people who feel really safe in conformity and actually without them not breaking the box and taking joy from their routines, whether that is, you know, the consistent family at home that you can always know that when you rock up, you know, the same meal will be served and that makes you feel safe and loved, you know, whether it is the the, the the shop worker, you know, who smiles every day and finds purpose, you know, in her job in the supermarket or the teacher, you know, that thrives in the school environment and makes her pupils feel safe. I think each person has their role and there are those that have the role of consistency and order and routine and they feel safe in that and they don't want to break the box. They get obscene happiness from just doing normal things. Well, I was just going to say, is, is there a difference? Between consistency and conformity? I think there is a difference because I think if you can find joy, whatever brings you joy, whatever that is in whatever form, that's you as an individual. And for some people, that joy will come 
in the form of what others may perceive as conformity. It will come in the form of routine and safety and never leaving the time that they grew up in and going to the same, you know, holiday place every single year, which is my idea of personal hell like I don't want to do that you know, I do not want to do that but equally I recognize the world will not function with a million Sarahs in it you know right. just leave their jobs and go off so I think the key is when it comes to conformity in the world as a whole not that I can solve the world's problems I wish that I could I think about it deeply but there has to be some consistent thread about allowing individuals to be seen and heard in the world and feeling comfortable that someone's individuality individuality does not compromise your individuality and I think whenever we work through our needs deficiencies and our issues not only do we change the filter in which we view the world you know we're less triggered by other people we don't interpret those events in the same way but also we don't trigger others we make it safe for other people to express their views views that are different to ours and in the same way that the parent gets curious about you know why did you get that f and what was going on and how do you feel about it and what goes on you know in the classroom and you know tell me more about that I think that's the point when we can create change in humanity whenever when it comes to those gender issues that we just don't immediately close the door and say, no, that's not how it goes. And, you know, girls should be girls and boys should be boys. And, you know, and that's it. And, you know, case closed. I don't want to hear about it because it makes me uncomfortable because it's a threat to my identity. When you're comfortable with your identity, anything is welcomed. You just open the door to curiosity and you're willing to listen. And I think humanity at the minute has an overwhelming need to be seen, heard and validated, which is not met across the board. And that's historically true. I don't know that there has been a time when that has not been true. And that is Mm -hmm. definitely part of the human journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's that part of one's self uh, call it the ego, not in the ego as in, oh, she's got an ego the size of Manhattan, but, yeah. but the, that part of yourself that sits somewhere outside of yourself and looks back and yeah. says, and is able to evaluate the world from that perspective, stepping out of your body physically, because we are so much more than our body. Uh, the body's a vehicle for carrying out, uh, carrying a very special cargo. And I think it's that part of the self that sits outside of the physical that can look back and down with all the wisdom of the universe and recognize truth, Mm -hmm. which is really hard to do right now to recognize Mm -hmm. truth. That's why you gotta get out of your body a little bit and sit up here and look at the big picture um, from a universal standpoint. Um, You know, you were talking about joy and and happiness and you have a new book coming out right uh choose happy choose happy mm-hmm. which i'm so excited to get and to read and from a personal standpoint um i wanted to ask you this question it's actually really been burning in me to ask you and i waited until this podcast episode to do it um I I see a lot of of messages from very well-intended people, a lot of memes, 
mm-hmm. on t-shirts that say choose joy yeah and so there is there is something in the in the ether right now that wants to tell humanity that they can empower themselves to make a choice i personally have struggled with joy Mm-hmm. since my son passed away mm-hmm. my joy left with him mm-hmm. inherently I'm a happy person I experience happiness and great satisfaction in being in service to other people I experience great happiness and satisfaction in being surrounded by nature and acts of goodness and generosity and kindness truth and beauty, all of that, I resonate with in a deep, deep way. I always have. It's part of who I am. For you, is there a difference between joy and happiness? No. No, there's not. I think happiness is, Happiness is an elusive state for sure. And it is fleeting. And we've got to recognize that we can't be happy all of the time. And I think when it comes to choosing happy, it's a choice that happens within the constraints of our lives. You know, we're each individuals and happiness isn't black and white. And sometimes happiness is, is on your darkest days. You know, the days when you just feel like, oh, I just really have had enough and I can't summon that breath of kind of energy and purpose and passion to keep on going and you're in that pit it's happiness is as simple as that little flicker like the little flicker of a candle you know that goes and kind of whispers to you like it's okay like you're fine you just have to keep on going like you've got to trust and tomorrow will be better and this feeling will pass for me that's what happiness is and Happiness and joy are no different. It's just fancy terms in the English language to describe the same thing or to sell a different product to someone. Oh, happiness is overrated. Everyone should be (laughs) joyful now. You know, it's, it's for me personally, it's the same emotion. And I think happiness is, is just a positive feeling and it comes in shades. You know, sometimes it's the bright, obvious light that, you can't help but notice that every part of your life is happy and you feel you know almost kind of like you've completed life and you're you've got it all figured out and you feel that absolute joy and other times it is the the small candle like the little flicker of hope that just says keep on going for me that's always the choice towards happiness yeah I've somehow managed to compartmentalize the two as separate, entirely separate experiences, joy and happiness. Happiness is something that it's that um, it's the connection to that light that Mm -hmm. is not separate from us. It's part of us. Again, it's another another reflection, right? It's like if you put a, a physical object in front of a a light of any kind it casts a shadow behind it and the face of that object call it a human being is uh, a physical human being um is looking at say the sun right and we feel the warmth on our skin we know that we're absorbing nutrients 
Mm -hmm. You look at the way that the sunlight uh, hits hits trees and plants, right? And gives them food for their, there's a symbiotic relationship with that light. Yeah. And that's symbolically as well, of Mm -hmm. what you're talking about. Um, That to me is happiness. That recognition of happiness is like feeling the sun on your shoulders. Mm -hmm. Joy is something different for me. The way I experience joy is not the light that's outside of me reflecting back all this beautiful warmth that I see and feel around me. Joy is some is the light inside of me mm. that that emits out to the world. And I know a lot of people will say, Henry, you emit a lot of light. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I, I haven't yet figured out is that my happiness or is that my joy that people are sensing? Because I do feel like when you have a deep connection, whether you're a parent or whether you uh, are a partner or whether you are uh, you know, the child of beloved parents or, or somebody special in your life, and when they are gone physically mm-hmm. from your, your the, there, there is a light that, that is extinguished. Yeah. Um, that's grief that you carry. And it's like a, it's like a wet cotton ball, pss, you know, that, mm-hmm. that puts that joy light out from within uh, is the only way I can describe it. And I have not yet found anything that replaces that feeling that I had when Cameron was physically here. I know, I don't believe in death anymore. I don't believe he's gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, energy is, is with us in different forms. And I definitely feel his hand in my life. So in that sense, it hasn't been extinguished, but I attach that feeling to my happiness versus a sense of joy. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe it is the same thing. I'm just calling, maybe I've just separated it, but, but maybe there's another word for, for what I'm talking about. I think it's really beautiful that you separated it because I, think intuitively what you've done is you recognize that Cameron well what it sounds to me like and please do correct me if I have totally picked this up wrong which is possible but Cameron was joy Cameron was joy and now that he's gone that joy isn't there but you still feel happiness so to so to separate the two and to make sense of it I think I think it's you you have to split those emotions away because if he was happiness and you were kind of left you know with a huge void you already are carrying a huge void but to almost kind of separate it out and recognize he was bigger and greater and more euphoric than that kind of inner light of happiness he was the bold light the joy the thing that you felt and that part's gone and something else remains and that part may never come back because because he's gone and that that represents that that separation of almost the division of happiness like the separation part that in the shade and in the rainbow and the way that you experience it it's like one color's gone like that that color of the rainbows kind of disappeared. And so you experience happiness in the other tones and the other colors, but you'll never quite reach the full rainbow because part of you's gone. Yeah. 
And and yet again, I I don't feel like he's entirely gone. Cameron no. isn't gone. His physical is gone. Yeah. And you know, he when people would ask him what his favorite color was, he would say rainbow. <laughs> that was that was him. I mean, he is the he's the whole yeah, he's rainbow, the whole rainbow, right? He yeah. was also his whole life obsessed with Peter Pan. And that is also a symbol that constantly yes. comes up for me around him. He is the boy who would not grow up. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. in the final battle between Hook and Peter, Hook says, who and what art thou? Right? And Peter's response is, I am youth. I am joy. I am freedom. And so there's that that epic, heroic, yeah. eternal Peter Pan that that Cameron is. And I think we can all relate to that. Somebody that we've lost Absolutely. that, you know, maybe was a, a grandparent or a great grandparent mm -hmm. or a brother, or a sister, or an uncle, whoever, not. And so um, I think we can all relate to that feeling of, of grief and and the extinguishing of of something something right? yeah for me i can call it joy because that's you're right cameron was joy he was the rainbow is still wherever he is but but now yeah. it's got a different scent it's got a different yeah. feeling it's got a different texture to it than joy um, yeah and i do tend to lump it into uh he's now that light outside of me Mm -hmm. That feeds That's my hat. He feeds my happiness. Mm -hmm. He's my happy. Yeah. That's beautiful. Right? Yeah. That, that all makes a lot of sense. Came to me right now. It was very, thank you for opening that up. Hi, I'm Yvonne Johansson, and this is My Little House. My Little House is an interactive, multi-sensory, educational felt toy that I invented to help develop children's language skills. I love My Little House. I've been working as a speech therapist for over 20 years. So then I just thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just take this one-dimensional board and make it into an actual three-dimensional toy? How cool would that be? That's the idea behind My Little House. You can spread it out flat like a four-panel felt board, or here's the cool part. In the blink of an eye, My Little House easily converts into a three-dimensional reversible house. My Little House comes with 36 felt cutout pieces that match outlines in eight colorful rooms. And they're felt, so they stick. Each piece inside My Little House has been placed with purpose. But My Little House isn't just for kids on the spectrum or with significant disorders. It's also for typically developing two to five-year-olds. It's a fun toy. I always say to my kids, when you get stuck, you have to ask for help. Can you tell me what you see on top of the refrigerator? I know that My Little House is going to make a difference in thousands of children's lives. I just need your help in getting it out there. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about My Little House, My Little Farm, My Little Zoo, and other Smart Felt Toys, visit www.smartfelttoys.com. <laughs> yeah, it's really lovely. And yeah, like you said, it's, you know, 
he's gone in one sense but not in another and it so it yeah. makes sense that he takes a different um as he takes a different form it it takes on a different emotional experience you know and you recognize his presence in a different way you know through your emotions which shows how strong the connection is well and that's part of flow isn't it yeah Good segue. <laughs> Good segue, yeah. <laughs> um, I, anybody who's known me for a long time uh, has has heard me say many times, my middle name is Flo. Um, I, I've always resonated with that. And when I was reading your book, um, Find Your Flow, and I'll, by the way, uh, listeners, I'll put the link to both books uh, in the description below. Um, I tend to link to Goodreads because not everybody mm -hmm. likes using Amazon. Um, but, uh, and Choose Happy's, it's not yet. It's cup of night. it's not yet. No. Okay, but people no. can pre-order it, right? They can pre-order. Mm -hmm. Excellent, excellent. I'll have that link there. Um, but Find Your Flow, um, where did where did that uh, book come from in you? What, what, mm. what uh, lit the fuse in you to, to bring this, this, beautiful book on onto the scene yeah so it came out of it came out of definitely a place of discomfort and pain you know it was back in 2016 and this is you know I was really disconnected from who I was I was in just the constant repeat cycle of um pleasing, performing, perfecting, you know, doing everything that I think that I should do, being everything to others and nothing to myself. I remember a really pivotal moment when I was trying to like increase my motivation and I went to this motivational seminar in Birmingham of all places and um, the, the speaker said, okay, here's a really simple exercise to warm things up write down three things that you love to do like just for you and I watched this arena full of people you know take out their notepads and pens and like frantically scribble down three things and I had this moment of radical honesty like I knew I could fake my way even through this exercise and I could write down the same three imaginary hobbies that were on my resume from when I was 16, like reading, cycling, walking, you know, the stuff I'd never did. Or I could just sit in the discomfort and admit to myself, I didn't know the answer to that question. And that scared me. And so that moment and a lot of moments kind of in between led me to quit my job, sell all my stuff, start this adventure um, towards into the unknown, into really not having a clue what I was doing. And as part of that journey, as the universe always does, you know, it somehow delivers you exactly what you need at the right time. I, I picked up a book and I read the word flow and instantly it connected with the psychologist in me, this, this, formula for happiness that Hungarian psychologist Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi discovered back in the 1970s where we are fully ourselves we're the fullest expressions of ourselves and as a result we almost gain superhuman levels of performance our productivity increases by 500 percent we have three days heightened creativity skill acquisition increases by up to 490 percent and all of that is because we are being the fullest, truest expressions of who we are. 
and I became fascinated with the research with flow theory and how I could adapt that into my everyday life you know I noticed those moments I'm sure you feel it when you're on stage and you're performing Mm -hmm. and you lose yourself you know your your sense of self disappears time speeds up or slows down you know you feel like you've maybe been on stage for two seconds when you've done a full night's kind of like long performance and you're not filtering your thoughts you're not thinking about the audience you're just fully present and connected to the moment and what's different about flow is the experience validates itself yes you're not validating the need you're not trying to um, gain something from the external that you lack life becomes a self-validating experience the experience doesn't need to do anything other than be the experience and you don't need to do anything other than be yourself and it's really when we look at those kind of heightened moments of what psychologists call flow state experiences you know the really pure moments of flow that's when almost the invisible self you know this kind of the the what the body as you so lovely said is the guardian of this precious cargo becomes visible it's where you shine you see it with performers in particular all the time you watch them on stage and they almost seem otherworldly like they have left their body and they have gone somewhere else and you know from the ancient the ancient greeks you know they you you think of the ancient greek theater with the masks right Mm -hmm. they really did believe that they were channeling the voices of the gods they were bringing in the spiritual through the human antenna Right, or through the human radio uh, uh, and, and bringing these words, they were the voice box of the spiritual yeah. world. And, and you're very, very right that the experience of performing, whether you're an actor, or a singer, a dancer, the performer is like, like I was describing earlier, that ego, that sense of yourself outside of your body, outside of the physical, yeah. that is it's stepping out to channel something else. And, and it is a very, very powerful feeling to be sitting up on a cloud, as it were, up in the, you know, in the rafters of the yes. theater, and you're watching yourself perform on stage, but you're not quite yourself, and yet you're your purest self, because exactly. you have to be able to make space within yourself to express and interpret the purity of the soul of the character Mm -hmm. that you are playing, Mm -hmm. which is different from you and yet somehow connected to you. It's very complex, but it's exactly exactly what you're talking about, yeah. And what's really amazing is, you know, with science and psychology, we know that that, we know and understand that, that that is happening in the brain. So we live a lot through our prefrontal cortex, which is like your front logical brain just behind the forehead there. And we know that when we're in flow, activity to that region drops. We're not as active in the prefrontal cortex, which means we're not really thinking and filtering. We're not using that logical brain. We're really bringing our full selves. We're not analyzing, we're not filtering. And so for me, as someone who at that stage of my life was really disconnected from who I was and, you know, were watching experts or 
coaches who are either too fluffy and saying just be who you are and find yourself and it's great and I was like I don't have a clue what that means like I don't know what you want me to do with that or equally we're too aggressive and they were saying you need to be this 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 and this and if you do all these things and if you hit my 12 rules to real you know to live your life you'll be happy another box yeah another box so it was like no box or another box and Flo offered this lovely way where I could actually use the collective understanding of if I pay attention to when I'm in flow if I can work with the psychology of flow actually whilst a lot of people are attracted by flow because of these you know optimal levels of performance and peak peak experiences and peak performance actually for me that wasn't the draw for me the draw was I get all those benefits because I am myself and if I pay attention to when I'm in flow and when I'm having those experiences those are the gentle little breadcrumbs that will lead me back to me And that's kind of how the book was born. I started to experiment with flow theory. I started to think, how can I make this a daily practice? Because I'm recognizing that flow is really important, but in our busy, chaotic, noisy world, I remember that. And then I have the collective amnesia and I forget it. And then three months later, I'm back in the same behavioral loop and I don't know how to get myself out of it. So how can I make this a a practice? And that's when I developed the journal system for flow, which is outlined in find your flow. And it's a morning and nighttime journal routine. It takes, you know, 10 minutes max in the morning, I'd say five to seven in the evening. And it's all based on proven positive psychology and designed to fit really easily into your everyday life. And it is my ritual. It is my time to convene with my soul and my inner essence and to really look at where am I in flow? Where am I out of flow? How can I add more flow into my life? And ultimately what it's led to is becoming more of who I am and a greater continual shedding. You know, there's always more to shed. I'm really comfortable with that now. I thought yeah. I would just like a pass the parcel game. I would get to the prize at the end and be able to hold it. Exactly. <laughs> and now I realize it's it's continual, but that's the adventure and that's the beauty. I'm not scared of what I'm going to find under that next layer. You know, I'm curious about oh if I remove that from myself what will that open me up to what will that lend me to and I wanted to make that book um a really simple easy read for people accessible accessible yeah practical this is what you do you know and and the book really the value of the book is honestly it's in the research backed approach and it's in it's it's in the practice the people who get the most from find your flow are those who have this secret shame of not knowing who they are. And because the stories weave through, you know, feel that connection of like, oh, I'm okay, I'm not broken. But most importantly, who start to put it into practice and who start to really get back to the core of who they are and answer that big existential crisis question of who am I and what am I here for? Stories are at the very heart of what makes us human. We each have one, and we can learn and grow from listening to each other. The Listen podcast is an exploration of the stories of Americans abroad and how they got there. If you're curious about the world and hungry for community, check out their website 
at www.thelistenpodcast.com or their Facebook group at the Listen Podcast Community. Now, is Find Your Flow, um, has it been translated into other languages yet? It's is not, there, no. There it's plans? not translated. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I, I had the... Um, <laughs> are you listening? Are you listening, publishers? Yeah, I need to speak to... But yeah, this is about publishers. Um, Find Your Flow had a had an interesting start into the world because both of my books have come out in a pandemic which has been really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I think Find Your Flow is still finding its way in the world. I had a lot of, I was fortunate enough that before everything kind of changed, um, that I got to do my book launch in New York, but a lot of different events and things were canceled. So I think like a lot of authors, we kind of have these lost books, like yeah. lost traveler with a lost book, yeah. um, who are trying to raise awareness that their work is out there. Um, but it's harder when it's not in in-person events. So it's not translated yet. I feel this book will kind of like find its home. Uh, Flow isn't really spoken about in this way. There's really just a handful of collective people. Like it's almost like a rise in the collective consciousness. You can see more people who are having this realization wow. of what flow could be used for. Um, so I think my gut instinct is in a couple of years, the book will come into its own right. But it's it's almost a bit like those, you know, before meditation kind of became something that we all did and we all talked about, you know, before then it was just mm -hmm. for the monks, you know, or the really hippie people in your village. <laughs> I feel like flow will find its way into the collective. And that's kind of leads into what you were saying before, you know, Jung had this idea of the collective unconscious okay. that we are all connected in a way and we we repeat things and we yeah not a lot has changed in humanity and we are still facing the same questions that the stoics had that the greeks had that you know and yeah. we haven't really moved on that much in humanity unfortunately well i but i think the opportunity is very clear now yes. with the pandemic if there is a gift to be found uh, and this is certainly not to 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 say that it hasn't been devastating uh, for many many people, and there haven't been uh, great losses and and people dying and ill and you know that, that it's a very very dark time in that sense. Um, the way I'm experiencing the pandemic on a on a universal scale in terms of my work. Um, is that it's providing us with a moment for universally everyone on the planet to take a half step back and reevaluate for oneself who am i what is my purpose mm -hmm. how do i get from point a to point b when i don't know what's going to happen tomorrow I don't know if my country is going to be on lockdown. I don't know if my best friend or my grandmother are going to pass away. I mean, there's mm -hmm. there's so much uncertainty in the world, which I believe bodes well for the idea, the concept of flow to Absolutely. flow into our consciousness right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. we are in that 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 half step back of, of reevaluation. Um, exactly. And what's really interesting is Adam Grant, who writes for the New York Times, and um, 
he published an article a few months ago um, which was about you know languishing and lockdown and how we all feel a bit meh and a bit blah and he cited flow as one of the key states that really helped people weather the pandemic so people who were more in tune with their flow and understood and felt more in flow you know were more resilient because when you think of what the pandemic has done you know not including the you know like you said not to take away from the health or the challenges or the heartache or the suffering or the loss of jobs um on a collective level it has it has cordoned off our exposure to the external so it's taken away a lot of those things that we rely on for comfort you know the night out with friends the glass of wine the theater experience like whatever it is for you it's removed all of those and it's forced us to go inwards now if your experience is you don't know how to reward yourself internally and you don't know how to enjoy an experience just for the experience that you expect nothing in return you don't ask life for anything you just enjoy that moment for that moment then the pandemic is going to hit you hard really hard versus if you are the type of person who can be curious and be creative and can do things in lockdown and find imaginative ways to use time and get creative about how you can use that space and be rewarded just for the experiences that you have. Not that you're going to exit lockdown with a rock and hot lockdown body and then everyone's going to praise you when you, you like kind of like strut into the wine bar for the first time and you'll get all that lovely validation just because it feels good to move your body and it's actually quite nice to look after yourself. Like that's the difference, you know, when we come at that place internally where life is its own reward and I don't have any expectation on life to be any different and it is my responsibility it is my responsibility to to really take responsibility and control for what that means to me versus it is the external's responsibility to meet my needs and you need to open up and you need to do all these things and you need to do this so that my needs can be met it's a very different experience. So I can see why when we're in flow, you know, our happiness levels increases, we feel kind of greater sense of fulfillment. And it all comes from within. It's that light from within that you've that you've spoken about. So well, the yeah. more we can turn on that tap of flow and give ourselves what we need, the less honestly you think about what's going on outside. You just it will pass, it will move as Mother Nature does. And you can play a role in that in a proactive way rather than in the, oh, this is terrible and there's nothing I can do. So I'll just, you know, drink box wine and eat a big massive pizza, which <laughs> at points I did. You know, you have to do it. <laughs> you know, there's that saying that that your cracks are, are what allow the light to get in. Mm -hmm. um, I don't experience that. I believe my cracks are what allow your light to get out, your mm -hmm. inner light to get out. And I think that, um, you know, the old adage that nobody's perfect is sort of blown out of the water with this whole, uh, you know, idea of flow because you are as perfect as you can be in the moment that you're in. Perfection means unchangeable, right? Yeah. And if you are in the moment that you're in, and really taking stock in that moment, fully in that moment, then you know you cannot be any different than you are right now. 
I knew this when I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. My teacher, my teacher had us draw a picture. Uh, she was this big, tall Scottish woman, Mrs. Ardeline. I loved her so much. And she had a straw picture of our family and our house. And like I say, it was a pretty broken home and chaotic. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I didn't like what I had drawn. And I crumpled up my little picture and I threw it across the room. I sat there with my arms folded, a little storm cloud over my head. Yeah. And uh, she came up and put her hand on my shoulder very gently. And she said, oh, Henry, nobody's perfect. And I looked up at her, I said, but Mrs. Arveline, how can I be any different than I am right now? <laughs> and so I knew then that that was exactly where I was supposed to be. But the gift in our humanity is that we get to imagine individually and perceive what might be better in the next moment and strive for that. Um, exactly. I had a young friend who was, who was feeling very, very down this week and was asking the universe, but on social media, for just mm -hmm. a day without stress, with just a day, for just a day without misery. Mm. And I said, you know, you get all the rest of the days of your lives Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club, a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable, a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project Wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. And the first step is in wishing, is first the desire. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. in the wishing, like in fairy tales, it all starts with a wish. Yes. And the belief that it's possible. Everything mm -hmm. is possible from this mm -hmm. point forward. Not You can't go back even 10 minutes ago and change or fix or adjust anything mm -hmm. that happened in the past right? You're in the moment yeah. that you're in. That's, that's unchangeable. If we, if you and I were meant to be in a different moment, having a conversation with somebody else, a different conversation, we would be, right? Yeah. yeah. And what happens from here forward is up to us mm -hmm. completely. So in that mm -hmm. sense, every human being is the center of the universe. Every human Absolutely. being has all the power. Mm -hmm. And every religion, every spiritual belief, has some degree of the message that you are a reflection of the divine, right? Mm -hmm. Creating the gods of whatever you want to call it. Well, then you're imbued with all the same powers of creativity and, and of destructivity and, yes. uh, you know, of influencing nature and everything else that we're seeing manifest around the world. I'm not saying that we are gods in that sense, but I'm saying that we all have a carry a divine spark 
that is connected to everything outside of us in the seen and known universe and in the unseen worlds as well. Mm -hmm. And so if we can find empowerment in that and really, really be in that flow, that state of flow, then you are the powerful one. You are the one who gets to plug in your radio and flip on the mm -hmm. switch and start turning the dial and finding the frequency that you match up with. And it could be exactly. a podcast. It could be a, a, a radio station that plays just classical music. It could be the share show all day, all shared yeah. 24 hours, yeah. right? Or it could be a single song. And then you change the dial after you've experienced that song, but you're the one who has to perceive the frequency and mm -hmm. emit your particular mm -hmm. frequency and find where they match. And I think mm -hmm. that that is a big part of flow. And, and, and once we start to understand how incredibly powerful that is, then we will start to see that we're working too hard. Yeah. We are working too hard at life. As we, we wrap up, as we wrap up, this has been such a great conversation. I want to have a part two. Um, <laughs> so we could go on for hours. Keep going. I know we do. Trying to hold myself back. Don't talk no. anymore, Sarah. No, not at all. Um, I, I do ask all my guests to reflect back on what we've talked about and whether, whether we've touched on it or whether we have yet to touch on it. What are three things that our listeners can take away from this moment, uh, three practical things to help them meet today, meet right now and the future. What are pr three practical things that, that, that come out of? Uh, I love that question. So I would say, first of all, if you're feeling a little bit you know, lost and, and disconnected, just notice when you're in flow, notice the characteristics that occur. Like when do you lose your sense of self? When does time speed up or slow down? Who are you with? You know, who are the friends whenever you just feel completely fully present and you're not filtering your thoughts or second guessing yourself, the more you can pay attention to that and its purest form, the more it will lead you back to who you are, what your unique gifts are, what the impact you're meant to have on the world is. So I think notice where flow occurs and then pay attention to that and try to add more into your life would be the first one. The second one is think about what is behind the need. So if you're working a bit too hard right now and you're pushing yourself too far, if your inner critic is an overdrive and you're really finding it hard to be compassionate to yourself, work with that part of you. You know, there are different parts that make us whole and try to understand the positive intention behind that part. So, you know, what is the positive intention of the inner critic? You know, often it is because it wants to motivate us, you know, it wants to drive us further what's the positive intention of working too hard and saying yes to additional product additional projects at work or whatever it is in your life often it's because we want to feel good enough so when you can really get the problem and identify it and then get behind it and say okay what's the positive intention what is this trying what need is this trying to meet for myself then you really have 
a meaningful conversation and you realize that you're not broke and there's nothing wrong with you and actually it's just your parts aren't really working in harmony and that every part has a positive intention and it's trying to keep you safe and then the third one is enjoy experiences as they are try to let life in try not to view it as a problem that has to be solved or something that needs to be fixed but rather just an experience that you're meant to have so really lean into those experiences that self-validate themselves that are just happiness because they're happy or just playing a board game with your family that you really enjoy with no expectation on that board game to lead to anything else and I think when you start to do that that's whenever the magic really starts to unfold and you begin to let life in. Beautiful. I think generationally, uh, the toxicity and, and, and disharmony are often uh, passed on from generation, even in our genetics, where they're finding through yeah. our genetics that, that, that we inherit some of these things. Um, and, and, it, we don't have to accept the inheritance. No. <laughs> it was never meant for you. If you feel that it's not meant for you, take that little vial of, of poison and smash it on the ground. Even if the obligation is attached to it that you must pass this on to your children, here it is on a little velvet pillow down yeah. filled with gold tassels and you must not let it drop. No, 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 no. They, they will try to, to you know, push it on you, but you don't have to accept it. Just like we were yeah. saying with, with the box, there are people who find great comfort in being in structure and consistency mm -hmm. and in a box. Whether that box was built by society or religion or employment mm -hmm. or whatever, it doesn't matter in the end, does it? You're in the you box. Know. You get to choose yeah. whether you're in the box. You get to choose your exactly. happiness, right? You choose happy. So, so, and if you're too big for everybody else's box, you don't have to have a box at all. Exactly. You can obliterate exactly. the box, right? So you're as perfect as you can be. It doesn't matter, right? If no. you're going through a depth of grief right now, feel your feels, feel your feelings, yes. right? So important. You can so important. feel, even if you have the way that I expressed it, lost your joy, you can still experience happiness. Mm -hmm. You can still experience you know, gratitude and, and satisfaction. I, I channel my grief into service. That's yeah. what has brought me happiness, mm -hmm. right? That's what, what the, the reflection of other people receiving that gift is the light outside of me that feeds my happiness, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a very layered thing, but permission is a powerful thing. And anybody listening who's going through a tough time right now, just know that you have permission to be happy to choose happy. You have permission to understand how to flow. And there are tools, there are tools out there. Sarah, you're a wonderful, wonderful force of good in the world. And I feel very privileged to know you. And I have the feeling that this is the start of a beautiful friendship. And I hope we get to collaborate on something someday. I agree. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah really lovely really lovely chat that's really made me think as well my head's like oh that was really interesting so I'm excited to to see where this takes us thank you
Absolutely. And hopefully we'll have a part two before too long. We can, uh, we'll keep talking and, and see what else comes out of this beautiful moment and, and uh, something that, uh, that we can offer. So thanks again. Thank you. You've been listening to season two of the Lost Traveler podcast with Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at www.henryallen.org. Thank you to my guests and thank you for tuning in. Let's keep striving for a better world together. Together.